Bonjour, I'm Terence Galenter, your American friend in Paris, coming to you almost live and almost every week from Café Terence in Paris's Troisième Arrondissement. This program is being sponsored by a generous contribution from the Billy Cohn Collection. Well, my, my guest is Victor Sebastian. You'll correct any of my uh, mispronunciations since Sebastian. I'm not Sebastian. Sebastian with a Y, author of 12 Days, which is the Hungarian Revolution in 1956, uh, Revolution 1989, which would be the aftermath of the coming down of the wall, 1946, the aftermath of the Second World War, and Lenin the Dictator, and you're wearing Lenin's haircut today. I can see that specifically. Little choice. There are very, there aren't that many others available. <laughs> anyway, well, I want to start. Um, I interviewed Michael Corda a number of years ago, and uh, what I questioned I had posed to him was, why are all Hungarians crazy? Because it seems to me any Hungarian I've ever met or knew of, including the relief pitcher for the Cardinals, Al Rabowski, was known as the mad Hungarian. You're all crazy. And Michael's response was, we're 10 million people that speak a language that no one else understands. Well, that's it, yeah. And um, Arthur Kersler, who was a very great... Sure, um, Darkness at Noon. Uh, Darkness at Noon and many, many, many other... Well, just said, well, being Hungarian, it's a constant permanent neurosis, um, uh, which is the same reason. We're cut off. It's an alien, uh, you know, and, and that, that's alien. And in Europe, you go to Budapest, you've just been there, as, as sure. you, you say. Um, did you use the Metro? The free metro, absolutely. Did you understand a single word of any? It wasn't necessary. We were only uh, we were only stopped on the tram. Uh, once on the tram and once on the metro, which kind of reminds me of Disneyland. It's very tiny. Living in Paris, we have you know a big metro or you know New York, yeah. three cars. They look like that, like the miniature size. Mm. Uh, but no, I didn't understand a word. I could. No, I could... Or, or sitting next to someone at a restaurant, and there are Hungarians. Did you, uh, no, you, no, 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 I, I, I tried to speak. Had conversations. Did you understand a single word? Kosinem uh, Sepan. Yeah, thank you yeah, very no. much. That's about it, yeah. Well, that, that's about it. Uh, Tokai, I, I like the wine. Uh, but most, Make well, mine a double is always a useful phrase. But most people did speak, uh, did speak English. But I want to come back to the language, though. Uh, let's, Ken, let's talk a little bit about the origins, going back to the Magyars and, and the language. And then later on, uh, we have um, Koshinsky, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, who uh, would may have predated uh, Ben Yehuda in Israel in transforming a, an arch, a lost language into a new language. Yeah. So there are many questions in that one statement. Yeah. So let's well, go back to the beginnings. Originally from the, the steppes of... of of Kazakhstan and, and um, Central Asia, where a lot of the of the tribes who, who subsequently made Europe mm -hmm. were from were from the from those steppes, the um, the got the the Huns, the Goths, so many of them, and the Magyars started arriving in the in the ninth century, in the late night in the late nineteenth century, and. Um, their language is a Finno-Ugric language, which, again, totally different from any of the other tribes, totally different from any of the 
any of the indigenous peoples in 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 those areas. And the idea the the it's not scientifically proven, but it seems to be that originally it was one tribe. One went north, and they ended up in Finland, Finno Ugric. The others the others went south and ended up in the Carpathian basin and centered around Danube, which in which was Hungary. And that was the conquest. They they uh, called the conquest. Other people might have called it an invasion. Um, and uh, they set one date for this invasion, which was eight nine six, a very a very important date in in Hungarian history. But actually, it was a thing that took many years. It wasn't just happened in one you know in one in one year. It was a it was a series of of. Of invasions over, you know, over a, a decade or or so, where the Magyars made the state. Um, before then, um, Budapest uh, had been, or Buda had been um, uh, a quite an important colony in in the Roman Empire, which we, you know, mustn't expect. And there are still quite a lot of interesting Roman ruins. There are in okay. in, 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 in in Budapest, which are. Um, which are worth seeing if then for if anyone who wants to go there. Um, but of course, that the, the, Magyar, the Magyar invasion conquest, call it what you will, um, was was six centuries later, um, in the grand migrations from the east that created, you know, uh, the dark the, the, the dark ages in European history. Well, you had the uh, I, I guess the good fortune of being well situated on, on the Danube. Uh, absolutely, it was in a large. It was in a large valley uh, that proved to be fertile. Can I just go ahead? No, I can't. Um, a fertile plain. Um, no hill. I mean, there were very few hills. It's pretty flat, Hungary. Um, what's what's the Hungary now? Um, certainly past this flat, and it's and it was a the center it's it's at the center of europe and it has been at the center of europe which is one of the constant themes in my book mm -hmm. uh, um always and that is why it's been it's strategically important because of its central geographic position that's why it's been invaded 13 times budapest has been destroyed all but destroyed five times mm. um that's what happens to cities which is quite so strategic well, you're living in New York, which hasn't been bombed yet. Yeah, never bombed. <laughs> so but far. Actually, actually, there was one, but it wasn't pretty cool. It was a human. Right, bomb. right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, hardly an invasion. So yeah, we move a little forward. The first, uh, I, I was at the parliament, which is just, I mean, it's yeah. mind-blowing. The, the the grandeur, the majesty of it, yeah. this tiny people. It's like it's like a, uh, a small person with a gigantic ego. Uh, it's... Uh, yeah. And we well, that, that actually basically is hungry. <laughs> and, and we we visited the uh, uh, you know Saint Stephen's crown, guarded by yeah. two very very sobering. Course, the one you see was never Saint Stephen's crown. No, no it's Saint the one Stephen, they use. Saint Stephen was the first king, right? Um, and it didn't, and then it got. But isn't that, isn't that who it's supposed to be? Even though we know it's, and they tell you that it's not the actual crown. Yeah, they do now, but only only recently. Yeah, uh, it's guarded, uh, guarded by two guys with long swords who don't smile. And no. I kept grabbing my neck while I was uh, 
trying to but get so close. Crown jewels in London. Are they similar? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so who was uh, who was Saint Stephen as he's known? The first actual king of Christian of of Hungary, and he was the person who, because originally the Magyars were pagans, mm -hmm. um, and the conversion really happened from around St. Stephen's time, and it was done at um, it was done at the point of it was done at the point of weapons. This was not an ideological persuasion um, through love and through um, through the Christian virtues. It was done by the sword, um, which is not to be forgotten. Uh, and King Stephen was a still one of the most highly respected figures. Well, those are you know it's over a thousand years now. Um, he was the first king that was basically crowned in you know a thousand a thousand AD. Well, outside of being the first, what what was so remarkable about him? Well, I, he tried way ahead of his time. He tried to create a nation state. Most of the nation states in um, Europe were not were not created until three or four centuries later. He wanted to, uh, there were just groups of there were groups of nobles um, who you know, owned you know owned the land. There weren't nation states until around the 14th, 15th century. In most of there wasn't a, a France as we know it. Sure. Um, until until you know, that was both the first of the and um, Spain then became a nation state. England. Um, uh, so he and he had rather progressive ideas about. It. He welcomed immigrants, which is rather different from present leaders of Hungary. Mm -hmm. um, and he, he wrote he wrote a legacy afterwards saying, welcome them, they will create our they will create our civilization. Um, he he forged he forged a nation from a from a group of pagan tribes and really rather quickly and and it became the the nation he created in, in the 12th, 13th after him. Um, in medieval in the in the medieval world, Hungary became was actually quite a powerful. It became a powerful nation and a powerful empire. Um, it took over what's now most of Croatia. It took over um, Slovakia. It took over all the western part of 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 um, Romania, Transyl which was Transylvania. It became. It had huge. He didn't find them, but but they were found soon after Stephen's time. Um, it had the biggest gold reserves in the world mm. for two centuries, which is why it became also quite extremely wealthy. It exported gold to all the other the future Arpad kings. Exported gold to all you know so many other kings, uh, and sold it at a premium. Um, so that was the source of. Of 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 Magyar wealth, and it was considerable wealth. They built they built quite important big cities, big town, big towns. Um, but Buda became you know three or four centuries later, a very a very significant Renaissance Renaissance town before the before the Turkish invasion um, in the 15th, in the 16th century. Well, you mentioned Buddha. I mean, it's, maybe it's a good time to, uh, for those who may not be that familiar with Hungary, to talk yeah. about the, the bifurcation that yeah. existed prior, Buddha and, and, and Pesh. Yeah. Uh, and the Danube, there wasn't a bridge over the Danube there until the mid-19th century, until the 1840s. The Chain Bridge. The Chain Bridge. St. Chain Bridge. The Chain Bridge. 
that was the first bridge over the Danube, and they were separate towns. And often it was because the, the Danube, until the last couple of hundred, you know, 150 years, it was it was um it was a it was a really difficult um river to cross. Um, lots was, of currents, lots of wilder. It was much more wilder. There were there were pontoon bridges which only lasted maybe two months of the year, three months of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, you, there was a there was there was a bridge much much um, further up the Danube, um, but that was like 150 miles away. So it was it was a hard it was a hard river to cross for a lot of the time. So there were there were two cities. Buda was the main medieval capital, and the fortress. And Pest was tiny to begin with. Um, it was just a, it was just a, a village, um, that spread out over the and over 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 the years. And Buddha is on a hill, um, and and a series of hills behind it, strategically harder to, um, I mean, easy to protect. Um, and that's where the castle was and the fortress was, and that's where the town was. That's where the royal seat was in Buddha. Um, uh, uh, and Pest was nothing until. Basically, the eighteenth, um, the beginning of the eighteenth century. Eighteenth century. Yeah, and they were entirely separate towns. <clears throat> there was another tiny old village called Obudal, which was old, the very old Budal, which was the site of the original um, king, uh, the the original palace, which was a very small affair. But then it was built you know, much later. Which under total but reconstruction. It wasn't united until a city officially one city until 1873 so right. we're in the we're in the um, 150th anniversary year which no one mentioned when i was there no no well it's not a big deal um but uh so it wasn't really it wasn't one city and there is i mean all the way through hungarian literature even uh, you know 19 there, there were people who really didn't like going from one to the other they felt out of place they almost felt like they were in a foreign country. Um, on the whole, what, what happened is Buddha was more German speaking because as it became a um, Habsburg um, seat, mm -hmm. um, an Austrian seat, and Pest was more Hungarian speaking on the whole. And, and Buddha was more aristocrats, where the aristocrats lived, where the rich lived, uh, or the old rich lived. And then Pest became the more when it, brash um thrusting and that's the, the most of what when people go to Budapest now they basically think of Pest which is the the Habsburg town mm -hmm. and the bustling the bustling city Buddha is much quieter still and they and they are still there are still um there are still some some diff, some big differences between Buddha and Pesh, but they're all historically there were great differences, and as I say, it didn't become uh, uh, a single city for 150 years, which is quite new. And and I guess there's something bifurcated in the whole culture, having been part of a dual the dual monarchy with uh, the Habsburgs and uh... yes, there were ups and downs in the dual monarchy. The dual monarchy only existed from the 1860s. Before that, it was a simple colony of. Of, of 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 Austria and didn't have much independence. There was a war of independence. Um, they, the 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 
But the Hungarians are always revolting from... Um, are we talking about 1848 now? We're talking about 1848. Right. The Hungarians and, traditionally revolt. They revolted against the Ottoman of the Turks. They, they, they revolt every time they're taken over. They, they're good at revolting, um, <laughs> although it doesn't always work, but they're very good at trying to do it. Yeah, well, as, 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 as Kos uh, Kossuth, and correct my pronunciation, because I'm just reading it, and I... Kossuth. Kossuth. Kossuth, Kossuth, in 1848. What was going on in Europe? Because you had, you know, in, uh, oh, kind uh, of an uprising in Germany and also Garibaldi oh, and what later became it was, Italy. 1848 was the single, it was the, it was the only time that almost the entire continent um, was in revolution. It was the biggest revolution in Europe. You know, you had your French revolutions and Russian sure. revolutions, but this was continent-wide. Well, what, what was the cause? Um, it was in the zeitgeist that was causing Paris, that? 1848, enormous one in Paris. Sure. Um, in France. Um, and, and most of, well, Germany didn't exist. Right. There, were series, there were a series of, there were about 70 different different states that made sure. up Germany. Um, Austria, and it nearly, Austria, the Austrian Empire nearly fell apart. Um, what was provoking it? What was happening? Throughout, throughout Italy, again, didn't exist. Italy didn't exist. So like 1870, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even Switzerland. There were revolutions in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, there were no bands, you see. So there were revolutions. Um, there were revolutions in Scandinavia. Through, through, literally throughout throughout Europe. There, I guess my question that, is, what was Britain. happening? What was happening and that was causing this, you know, worldwide if you will or certainly in europe well ideas of liberty but also um a, all kinds of economic difficulties there was inflation there was there was industrialization which um these were uh, on the whole agrarian agrarian societies that were suddenly and very quickly changing into industrial ones a lot of people were losing their jobs on the on jobs on the land um and not enough by then, jobs um, in 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 growing industries. So it was it was a time of a, a, you know extraordinary economic um, dislocation throughout throughout the world, um, but well throughout the European world. But America too and Britain mm -hmm. um, had this. They just cope with it in a different way. Um, I want to go back uh, a little bit. The economic. There are a whole. There are, there have been huge books written about 1848 and which uh -huh. explain it. But I, 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 the economic dislocation was the principal one. But also ideas, new ideas about liberty and democracy. These were countries that had, that, that some of them were extremely autocratic kingdoms. And the ideas of, of democracy that originally spread from you know, France and then America. Um, so that was an important factor too. I guess I'm wondering how it was spread. Obviously, today we have the internet, we have we had yeah. faxes, we had cables, uh, we didn't have telephones yet. Uh, I, be I believe we had telegraph in the uh, 1848. Very uh, small areas of Europe. Yeah. So how was how was this getting out simultaneously? It was still horse and carriage. Bouchere, word of mouth. Yeah, a horse and word of mouth slowly and. Big changes happen in the world in the past, you know. We get up sure. by technology. Um, everyone blames the internet and everything for everything. That, you know, that, that life happened before. Right. 
Oh, absolutely. No, uh, but it happened. Well, I, I notice in, in your book you talk about uh, Matthias, uh, who I guess. Yeah, whatever. we're going back to the 15th. Go back a little bit. Yeah, this, this is like a movie. We go back and forth. The 15th century, Hungary. Uh, if, uh, in the 15th century, again, as I was saying earlier, Hungary was a, was rich. Um, it wasn't the tiny little country we're talking about now. It had, it had, by European standards, a big population because it had all these other. Um, it had, it, had, it had taken over many other places. And it was at the center of the European Renaissance. Um, there was a particular king, Matthias Corvinus, um, who was a considerable, you know, Renaissance prince. He, he, um, he, he, he kept the state as a functioning as a uh, again as a European nation state, most importantly. Um, but he was a great patron of the arts. He created. He created um, churches, palaces, art, an extraordinary library. The, he had the most famous library in the world after the Vatican. It was in, in, immense. It was at a time when printing had just been invented. So it was, it was you know, in housed thousands of, man, of very, very rare manus manuscripts going back from Greek times, um, ancient Greek times. Um, and it was a it was a big center of the of the um, of the of Renaissance, and his father had been um, a, a great military leader who had protected Hungary from because it, because the 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 Ottoman the Ottomans were were um, on a mission to basically take over all of Europe um, uh, from the east and was um, the, the the Turkish Empire. And it got, uh, it got, it, it, you know, in the 1450s, it was just after um, Matthias Corvinus, they'd taken over Constantinople, which was, of course, you know, one of the pinnacle powers of of um, of, of, Euro, of European Christendom. Um, it had taken over nearly all the Balkans. Um, one it got it got to it got to the gates of Vienna it got to the gates of Vienna, and Hunyadi had protected Hungary from um, so he was considered a a truly important and was a truly important military figure um, who had saved who had saved Hungary. Well, one of the things afterwards, you, afterwards it all went. <laughs> well, one of the things you talk collapsed. about it, you talk about in your book and, and was later underlined to me at the uh, synagogue on the the main one Dolheny whatever the street was yeah. uh is the relationship between hungarians and and jews yeah. uh matthias was was very friendly towards the jews i i had probably delayed going to hungary for many many years because of uh, 1944 and yeah. i wanted to lump the hungarians with the poles uh and i not entirely true uh not that uh it, it's a very interesting relationship because and both matthias as you mentioned franz joseph saw the value of the Jews in terms of what they brought economically and what they brought culturally uh, to that uh, that scenario. And then, I don't know, was 1944 a blip on the radar? Uh, that's a, a loaded question. Is I'm, I'm sorry, how, how, what exactly are you asking me? Well, I'm asking you, in, in 1944, the 437,000 yeah. Jews who were sent in two months and yeah. almost all of whom died at Auschwitz, uh, I hate to call that an anomaly, 
but uh no anomaly at all okay so explain <laughs> well no it's an incredibly complex and very long history um and in medi and various times in medieval europe um jews were treated abominably other times they were tolerated um never welcome never made welcome never given equal equal rights until Napoleon. Certain, certain parts of 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 your certain small parts of Europe. Mm -hmm. um but it, even some countries that proudly proclaim how progressive they are and all that um were the english throughout all the jews in the in the 13th century mm -hmm. so when the um and the spanish threw all out all their all their jews out in the 16th century and the portuguese um, and the Hungarians welcomed them at times, abused them at times. Actually, they had a they 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 were treated best, far better, under the Turk. Hundred and fifty years under the Turks than they were under almost all the Christian kings in the in the Middle Ages. Very interesting. And, and in the and in the Renaissance, Paul Venus was an unreal exception. Sure. Um, mostly they were kept in ghettos, mm -hmm. only allowed um, to live in certain areas, only allowed to pursue certain occupations. And then there were periods when it was relatively free and liberal, and they and they were much, and things were much e much easier easier for them. And in and in and in and in the Habsburg times, the later Habsburg times after the 1840s, 1850s, that was the best time for the Jews mm -hmm. in, a, in a Hungary. Because um, they, 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 they hitched their wagon to the Habsburgs um, on the whole, because the Habsburgs offered them basically free rights of all kinds, not totally, the same, but much, much freer than ever, ever, ever had before under freedom of worship. Um, and they were the engine, the great period of Hungary, the golden period of, of modern Hungary was the 19th century when it was the dual monarchy. And that's when Budapest, most of Budapest was created, or much of it, and it looked like a, a Habsburg city. It was, it was the, you know, the height. Of, of, of all those wonderful wonderful buildings um but basically it the, again i have one has to explain a little bit of hungarian history and how it worked the country was completely run by the arist aristocracy um and and, the, and it wasn't quite aristocracy as as it's known in even in other parts here um there were more people considered noble and of aristocratic birth in Hungary than anywhere else in, in Europe. So it wasn't like one in every thousands of, of people. It was one in, that doesn't mean they were the rich aristocrats, the super aristocrats were, in some of them were unbelievably wealthy. Most of the aristocrats were not aristocrats, were not wealthy, but they considered themselves a class apart. And because they had that, you know, they're, 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 that aristocracy, they they were they didn't pay aristocrats didn't pay any tax of any kind at all and that is number one that is the number one all the taxes went to the pet on the peasants and um and the few few people in the towns um and this we're talking about one out of about 15 
of the population were considered noble or, you know, even more than Poles. Every, we all know a count here or a count there, a Polish one or, a, you know, a Hungarian one, but in, a hung in, in, in Hungary, like one in 18 or something would, would count or could claim an, um, noble. And they had, they didn't work either. They had a thing, they, there wasn't a middle class in the sense that grown up in America would know, France would know, Britain certainly would know, that created, that had a stake in the nation and that created the nation. So that left a vast gap of people when the, when the when Industrial Revolution came, who were going to, who were going to build businesses and create firms and create, create industry. And that was the Jews. So um, they were allowed to, and the, and the aristocrats, weren't going to do it, we weren't doing it. Some middle class traders were doing it, but you know, mainly it was the Jews that left. And that was the glory period for the Jews. There were they, they were some vastly wealthy ones, but even the you know the modestly okay ones were doing quite well. Uh especially in Budapest. We're talking Budapest here. Elsewhere in Hungary it wasn't that. But um in Budapest. I want to jump back. Uh, we have about 10 the minutes. Budapest again was created by the, you know, there's this wonderful quote by one of a great Hungarian poet called Andre Odi called Budapest, built by the Jews for the rest of it. That is a, that is a great quote. Uh, I'm living in, in a city that prides itself on its cafes, <clears throat> but if we go back to the cafe uh, Kimeitzer, uh, my, my sense of being in, in, in Hungary or in Budapest, <clears throat> Seems to me there are more cafes here, there than there are in in Vienna, and the cafe life is very different yeah. than the cafe life that we have here. It's there are absolutely central. I do do a I do a whole bit. It's yeah. I don't understand Budapest without the cafe culture. The whole Talk place. about that culture, and I think I think you you write. Uh, every writer has his cafe, and every cafe has his writer. Yeah. I mean, they are, it, but but everyone went to cafes. So, I mean, so it wasn't just a, there were lots that were the writer, and there were the the thing is most it, it was the most democratic thing in in um, even though parliament even though Hungary had a vast parliament they had no democracy it was, um, so that that they so it was the the only real democratic places were coffee houses in, where anyone could go, um, and they did and people spent. Days of their life. My my mother one literally remembers spending days of her life at the coffee house. Coffee house. But it was also there were Estahazi, there, there were there books were pastries. Were, books were written there. there. Newspapers yeah. were edited there and and completely compiled there. Um, and it and there and and no, there was music played there. When when the cinema came, the first cinema, the first films were shown in cafes. Um, not they didn't build. They built. Cinemas later, but it was cafes, um, and uh, and some were unbelievably. Um, there's one called the New York Palace. The New York um, Cafe. We were there. Yeah. New York Cafe. New York Cafe um, was opulent to an extreme. It had gold-plated fittings. It still, it still does. It, as still, you know. it yeah. still does. It still does. But it was built around the 1870s and the you know the glo the glory days. Um, and right, I mean, but there were no kind of clubs or salons, um, as there are in Paris and Vienna and you know, fashionable. 
that didn't really exist. It all existed in cafe. So that's where writers and politicians and um, people congregated to, business people congregated to meet and to talk. And it's still got that atmosphere very much in in in, in Budapest, which I which 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 I love. There's a, there's also this little little line which I try and describe that there was of um there was a um an elderly couple husband and wife who every day went to the same coffee, um coffee house just sat there apart and never talked to each other some would say oh, well some would um say well you know in some ways that's a happy marriage some would say no that's a happy coffee house <laughs> <laughs> I would say, but uh, no, I was impressed with that. And, and the fact that somebody, I mean, I'm not a, a sweets guy, but I ate more pastry in five days oh, yeah. in, in Budapest than yeah. I probably have at any five day period yeah. of my, yeah. in my life. Yeah. Uh, it was wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely. But wonderful. Had, we're talking about some good things. The other thing that I've tried to get across in my book is that it's had some really bad times. The 20th century was a ghastly period oh. um, for Budapest. It had a wonderful night, you know, art, late 19th century until the first world war the first world war basically it was the end for for you know for, for hungary and for and um budapest sort of survived it but hungary had a ghastly 20th ghastly 20th century. well you had bela kuhn you had the miklos horty the defeat in the first world war and then you had you had imagine the country Half the population going, and more than and nearly two thirds of the of the land mass of country going, disappearing, ceasing to be hungry, um, and surrounded by you know instead of places you'd colonised and of course treated very badly, said mm -hmm. so they're your enemies, um, not your friends and not your subjects. It changed everything psychologically, um, and um, and in every way, really. Well, you were, if I read your bio correctly, you were born in, in Budapest in 1956, so you got well, out. Family, I was a baby when my family left, so I have Left no, at, during a revolution or, or the during revolt? A during a failed revolution against the Soviets. Because right. what happened in Hungary was they had three revolutions in one year in 1919. They had a communist, a short-lived communist regime that lasted four months and killed a lot of people in a short period. Then they had more or less a fascist dictatorship um, that became more and more and more anti-Semitic. The Arrow um, Cross? From the 1920s to the to the 40s, they allied themselves with Hitler. Um, uh, in a, they were very cozy with Hitler. Um, they invaded the Soviet. No, they invaded Russia, um, along with Germany. You know, along with along with Germany, they had their own homegrown. Um, Nazi organization, the Arab Cross, which were even some Nazis were shocked by the, um, the Arab Cross's brutality. Um, and um, when the Germans actually invaded in 1944, uh, that's when all the Jews, not all, but 90% of the Jews outside Hungary were killed and sent to Auschwitz in a very short. Been outside of Budapest? Outside. But most of the Jews in Budapest survived. Really? Okay. And that's partly because of you know because it started late. They started killing them two and a half years, three years later after everywhere else. But they were awfully efficient at it. They were very, very efficient at it, yes. And they were um horribly efficient. Um but 
what they were going to do was put all the Budapest ones in ghettos and then get round to killing them later. But by then, the Red Army was circulating um, so, uh, around, so they didn't have the time. But the Arrow homegrown people, the Arrow Cross killed, it's basically only the Holocaust on the whole did not happen in the centre of cities. Mm -hmm. they, the, the, they didn't kill thousands of people elsewhere in the centre of cities. They took them to camps to kill them. Sure. But in Budapest, it was on a big scale. The Arrow Cross killed them in 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 the city and on the shore of the Danube. On, mm -hmm. on the, um, two the, of the, the shoes on the Danube. It's a beautiful memorial. It's a it one is. one of the most moving memorials to the Holocaust I've ever seen anywhere. It, and it's any, astonishing. Any Jew or any anyone interested, any human being, should go there, and it is so moving. Again, the book is Budapest between East and West. We just have a minute or two. Uh, you were uh, your family were saved by uh, the Swedes. Was it? Uh, no. No, well, no, did I misread that? I think you did. Yeah. Okay. My family was sa was 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 saved by um my sister's nurse. Okay. Who protected us, um, who kept who found somewhere for us to stay and um incredibly bravely. Because they were um, they were creating passports or signing passports for along no, with Wallenberg? She, no, oh. we, we got a Wallenberg passport, but you know, on the whole Lots of people got well on the passports and they were fakes or they didn't work. I got to stop you there, Victor. We could, we could go. Was, I'm not. I'm not in any sense decrying de, um, decrying Wallenberg, but he couldn't save everyone. Absolutely. Again, the book is Budapest between East and West. I wish we had more time. Maybe we'll catch up at some point in the future. No. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk with you and, and reminisce. With you. Now that I've had a, a taste of Budapest, yeah. having read having read your book, now I have to go back because I know about Andrasi and and the a lot of oh. stuff we get a, didn't have a chance to talk about today. Yeah. But uh, congratulations on the book uh, out in Europe now in America uh, in the um, September in September from Knopf. Once again, uh, Victor, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us, and please share your comments and suggestions at terrence at paris-expat.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E at paris-expat.com. And visit paris-expat.com to sign up for my five weekly newsletters about the City of Light. Until next time, à bientôt à Paris.